Welcome very much to all of you. Uh, the way we're going to do it is we're going to do 10 minutes teaching, and then we're going to open up for Q&A, um, and then we're going to take another 10 minutes and then do some more Q&A, and then use some time at the end to respond and hopefully have some time to pray for people and that kind of thing. So I'd love to just pray quickly, and then Liv's going to kick us off. Father, we thank you for this morning, everything we've heard already, and we thank you for the reality of your Holy Spirit living in our hearts. Lord, thank you that we're not just dealing with ideas and theory this morning. We're coming to interact with you, Lord, and you're ready and willing, and we're really grateful for that. Amen. Amen. Okay, just untangle this. don't really want to pretend that I'm a pop star. Okay, so we've looked this week with Steph's teaching us on loads of different aspects of life in God with regard to the Holy Spirit. So we've looked at what it means to for the Holy Spirit to be uh, God, to be central in everything. We've looked at what it means for the Holy Spirit to be a spirit. We've looked at what it means for him to be um, a person who we relate to. And we're looking this morning at what it means for him to want to work in our lives with fruit and gifts. And um, we've covered quite a lot of material, but we've tried to make it something that we're, we're looking for you guys to get involved in the learning process. So I want you to be thinking as I'm speaking, any questions that come to your mind or things that you think, oh, I want to explore that a bit more. We really want that Q&A time to serve you well. So scribble stuff down or think of stuff, and then when we've got some time, we'll start answering our questions. But I'm just going to kick off um, talking this morning a little bit about the fruit of the Spirit. And I know that many of us would would, um, have kind of understood that part of being a Christian is about not just believing stuff about God, but actually it changing who you are and how you live. And we'd, we'd, a lot of us would have an understanding that God wants us to be changed by knowing him and be transformed. And there are verses in the Bible that describe that process as being kind of conformed to the image of his son, made to be more like him, made to reflect what he's like. So I just want to ask you to call out some things that you would say are descriptions of Jesus. Jesus as a man on the earth, what was he like? What kind of characteristics did he have? What kind of values did he have? How did he live that makes you think about Jesus? So just chuck them out. Miracle worker, kind, patient, good, loving, humble, passionate, forgiving, compassionate, gracious, merciful, generous, challenging. I thought you said talented. I like that one. He was talented as well. Prophetic. Blameless, not nameless, blameless. It's hard to hear from up here. Servant, peaceful, loving, wise, long-suffering, keep going, there's loads. Righteous, faithful, gracious, holy, perfect, friend, sinless, Reliable, unbiased, truthful, trustworthy, a leader, encouraging. Just soak these in. This is good. Messiah. Don't think we can be that one, but go on. Teacher. Dedicated. Zealous. 
Divine, definitely going to struggle with that one, but keep going. <laughs> Honest, obedient, humble, righteously angry, nice. Faithful. He had integrity. Okay, I'll call it a quit there. I'm interested that none of you said happy. Interesting, eh? He wasn't always happy, but I think he was quite joyful. Interesting. Do you think of Jesus having a big smile on his face? Anyway, um, it's, it's good to think about what we think Jesus is like because God said, that's what we're going to be like. So all those things you just described about the character of Jesus are the things that God is conforming us to be like. That's why it's good to hear them all coming out one after another after another because you realize, wow, he's an amazing man with an amazing character. And God's intention is to make us like Jesus in our humanity, to make us bear his image on the earth and to cause us to be like him and have a lot of those characteristics you just described in our lives. So I guess you kind of have to ask yourself the question, how are we going to get there? And that was a question that I asked myself when I was um, years ago when I first kind of started to hear this teaching that, that God wants you to become more like Jesus. And so I would take some of those characteristics, like, for example, patient, and I think, I really want to be patient. And so I, I kind of decided that I needed to try to be patient because that was something that Jesus was like and I wanted to be like Jesus. So I'd make a list of the things that I got impatient about. And then I would pray and I'd ask God, please don't let me get impatient about queuing and waiting for stuff to happen. Please don't let me get impatient when it takes ages for someone to go through the traffic lights in front of you in, in the car, you know, and you're like, now they're on red for my go. Thanks very much. Please don't let me get impatient about how quickly people answer my requests or emails or text messages. Things, that would, things I knew that I was impatient about. And, and I, try, I would try, I'd make a list. In fact, on some of the characteristics of Jesus, I would actually make a list of the things that I wanted to be more like because I knew there were things that I weren't. So the Bible says that Jesus had wisdom on his tongue and I knew that I often had foolish stuff would come out of my mouth. And so I would start reading Bible verses and try and try, and try really hard to become better at the way that I use my mouth. It was like I was trying to be like Jesus. Do any of you register with that? Any of you admit that that's a little bit what we can do? We think I really want to be like him. I want to be conformed to his image. So I'm going to try hard to be like him. The problem with that is that it implies that the way we get to be like Jesus is ourselves and our effort and our diligence and, and our works to get there. And that's not actually what the Bible teaches. In the same way that there are loads of things that I could have asked you to list of things that you would say are wrong in human nature. Loads of characteristics that you could have called out as to why these things are not, these are not things you want to emulate. So, you know, jealousy and evil and, and strife and conflict and lying. And I mean, there's hundreds, aren't there, of qualities, but we don't think of them as qualities because we think of them as vices, things that humans do that aren't right, that Jesus never did. And in the same way that we want to be like Jesus and inherit a lot of the good things we see in his character, we can also think, oh, I want to get rid of all that bad stuff in me. I want to get rid of all that malice and anger and, and, and swearing. And I want to get rid of the fact that I, I, I kind of say things that hurt people and cut them down. And I want to get rid of being defensive when someone accuses me of something. And I want to get rid of being greedy. And I want to get rid of being revengeful when someone's hurt my feelings. And, and, and in the same way that I would approach trying to be like Jesus, I would also approach trying to get rid of the bad stuff that I would see in my character and my lifestyle. And again, it's the same problem. It's, a, it's trying to modify who you are yourself. So I just want you to turn in the Bible to the book of Galatians, which is in the New Testament. It comes after Acts and Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and then you hit Galatians. 
If you want a good way of remembering the Bible books, you've got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Acts and Romans, follow on, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians and God eats purple custard. That's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. God eats purple custard. So God eats purple custard, God, Galatians. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 says this. I'm going to read a little section to you. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Here comes one of those lists. Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So Paul's teaching us here that the way that you get rid of all that stuff in your life, the works of the flesh, is not that you try really hard. It's not that you make lists and attempt to try and work your way through them and see if you've had a better job each day of not getting involved in these things. It's actually through your relationship with the Holy Spirit. So Paul's describing to us not a a to-do course on how to become more like Jesus. He's describing to us a person to relate to who will cause you to grow these things. Did you notice that it describes them as the fruit of the Spirit? Fruit grows on a fruit tree. The tree doesn't make a list of the things it needs to do that year and then work their way through them. The fruit just grows. A healthy tree that is rooted in the ground, that is well-fed, will grow fruit. And the fruit won't be damaged and distorted. It will be pure and it will be good and it will be pleasing. And fruit grows naturally on a tree. Nobody goes out, do they, in the autumn and starts to hang apples. You know, like go to the supermarket, buy your Granny Smiths and then come back home and then string a little ribbon around them and hang them onto the tree in the garden to like, like make it look like it's an apple tree, but it's not really. And in the same way, you can't put the characteristics of Jesus onto yourself to make you look like Jesus when you're not really. They need to grow from within you in the way that fruit would grow on a tree. And, and what Paul's teaching us is that the way that the fruit of the Holy Spirit grows in your life is by walking with him. It's by being led with it by him. It's having a relationship with him. And Steph's unpacked this a lot in the earlier days. And I would recommend if you've come this today and you haven't come to any of the other sessions in this stream, when you get home from New Day, get on the website and listen to the teaching that comes before today's because that will really help you understand more about who the Holy Spirit is and how we relate to him. But we get rid of the sin that's in our lives and we grow more into the likeness of Jesus through a relationship with the Holy Spirit, through walking with him. Have you ever, ever noticed that who you hang around with affects what you're like. Like I, before I met Stu, I um, I was, grew up in South London, uh, well, sorry, West London. But my mum and dad were quite um, well spoken, so I didn't have a particularly strong London accent. And uh, then I moved to the countryside in the north, and I had picked up a kind of northern accent to fit in with friends and, and school stuff around there. So most of my teenage years, I spoke with a northern accent. And then and then I I started hanging out with Stu and others who are from the south again. And I moved I moved to Bristol and. It's funny, I didn't pick up a Bristol accent. I picked up a South London accent. Because the person that I spoke to most often, and the voice I heard most often, spoke with a kind of Cockney voice and didn't pronounce his letters properly. And, uh, and it rubbed off on me. And I started speaking like that. And I remember my mum saying to me one day, Oh, such a shame. <laughs> such a shame that, you know, you don't quite speak like you used to. 
fact, I did a radio interview recently and I listened to it afterwards and I was like, wow, I put my good voice on, <laughs> my posh voice. That was how I used to speak until I started hanging out with this guy who taught me to drop my letters and say butter and things like that. And I want to say that to you because I want you to understand that who you spend time with shapes what you're like. That's actually a really important principle for you generally in your life. The Bible describes it like this in Proverbs. It says that the company you spend will shape your character. The company that you're with, who you hang out with. And I want to say, if you walk with Jesus, if you get to know Jesus, if you spend time with Jesus, if you, if you enjoy what he is like, if you read about him in the scriptures, if you look at his life, if you talk to him, if you listen to him, if you worship him, if you sing to him, if you include him in the way that you do life, you will be affected by what he is like. Paul is saying, if you walk by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will grow in you. If you want to be more patient, the way to be more patient is not to try harder to be more patient when people say things to you that make you impatient. It's to draw close to God and see the patience that lives in Christ and be feeding yourself on the nature of God and how he has time and how he is never hurried and in a rush and how he loves people and he's willing to let things go longer and how he, doesn't, he has plans and how he doesn't need everything to happen instantly and straight away. And as you come to know him like that, you will find the fruit of the Holy Spirit growing in you is that you will become more patient. And it works the same with all those different fruits, with love, with joy, with kindness, with goodness. The point is that the Holy Spirit works in us as we live with him, as we do life with him, and he grows these things within us, and they become natural to us. So really, when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, we're talking about the effect of a life of fellowship with the person of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit in you, doing life with him that shapes who you are and how you, how you behave. Does that make sense? And we're not talking about you striving to try and get each one of these characteristics more present in your life. We're talking about you relating to God in such a way that these things grow naturally. If you feel like I'm not a very loving person, I don't overflow with love for people, what you need to do is spend time with, a ver with very loving people because it rubs off on you. And the most loving person you can spend time with is God our Father. And as you see in the Bible and in life how he treats people and how he feels about people, and as you pray and you say to him, give me more of your heart for people. Show me how you feel about them. If you, if you know, do you know what? I, I'm, I'm, just not, I'm just not very compassionate. I, I see the news and I see like really difficult situations in people's lives and I just think, so? Then what you need to grow in compassion is not to watch more news programs and, and kind of read more sad websites to try and get it into them. It's to get near the one who cares and spend time with the one who cares and catch his heart and you'll find that compassion grows in you. It's to start to pray about the plight of the needy. You know, I, I, years ago, I, I really wanted to grow in compassion. I, I found that studying the Bible and reading all the verses that talk about God's heart for the poor really changed me and really began in me a work of just a deep sense of compassion that was the fruit of the Holy Spirit in me. So I'm just going to, I'm going to pause there for questions because I've just covered a little bit about the fruit of the Spirit. So Stu, if you don't jump up and field some questions. Any question you've got on anything I just said? We've got about 10 minutes for questions. I would particularly love to field any questions that anybody has with my uh, eloquent voice. Mm, question, if you've got friends and you know that they're probably having a bad influence on you in terms of character and you say you know that you should stop hanging around with them, how do you handle it? Um, but there's probably a step before that, if, if that's right, which is just how do you decide whether it's right to stop or not? And I think Liv's kind of, kind of helped give us a bit of a balance in terms of, it's not that you want, don't want to spend any time with anybody who's not really godly because that wouldn't give you many options. 
Um, and But if you spend all your time with people that are actually leading you astray, you're going to struggle. So it's actually you're looking for a bit of a balance. But involved in that balance is the amount of time that you spend with Jesus himself. So actually, I would say if you're the kind of person that actually has got a lot of non-Christian friends or friends that are would would naturally lead you astray, but you don't want to just leave them, that's probably really good. But make sure that you invest even more time spending time with Jesus and in the presence of the Holy Spirit so that it's kind of helping to balance out the, the kind of the impact or influence that they would have on you over here, if that makes sense. And there's obviously a decision you have to make where eventually you might have to decide to to stop spending as much time or to stop spending time at all with certain people if they if you find that you are actually being pulled over in a in a negative direction. How do you handle it? It's probably going to be different in every situation. I would think if they're Christians, then you could just talk to them quite directly, um, depending on the amount of relationship you have with them, and you could explain, actually, I, I don't want to do all the stuff that you do. And so I'm not always going to come out with you. And they'll understand maybe a bit more easily why that is. And that might even be a provocation, a helpful one for them. If they're non-Christians, um, I would think more likely you're just going to probably just going to measure out the amount, the amount of time. You probably don't usually want to say to them, I'm not going to spend time with you anymore because you're ungodly. That probably wouldn't convey the right message. And obviously not, it's not what Jesus did. But it would be okay for you to say to them, look, I love it when we hang out at school, but on Friday nights you guys all go out and get drunk. And I don't want to do that, so I'm not going to come. You know, that I think they would understand. So there's probably different ways that you're going to handle it depending on who the person is. And you want to pray and just ask for Jesus' direction and help. Mm. Yeah, so great question. Uh, for anyone who didn't hear and for the recording, um, it seems that people have the different fruits of the spirit that are listed, some people seem to be naturally better at one than the other. I remember hearing a guy called Tim Keller speak about this once, and he said, he's made a similar point, and he said, you know, if, if, you're, if you're good at one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, that's just your personality. <laughs> you, know, if, you know, if God's at work in you, you'll find yourself growing in all of them. I was like, oh, <laughs> great. Um, I think... I think that is partly that is just a reality. You know, some people find self-control easy or easier. Other people, that's the big deal. Some people are more personality are driven towards maybe joy and others a bit more melancholic, you know, and that might be a particular struggle. I, I don't think you should be too depressed by that. As in, I just think that's your starting point and that's okay. And God is committed to working with you wherever you start from and leading you into maturity. At the same time, I think... There probably are times where it's actually helpful just to realize, um, you know, joy is something I just don't seem to naturally get. And therefore, I want to really ask God for that, you know, because in some ways, sometimes the weakest link in the, link in the chain is the real problem. You know, if you're really loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, faithful, blah, 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 blah but you don't have any self-control, you're in big trouble. However loving and joyful and peaceful you are, you know, a lack of self-control will, can destroy your life. And so you want to kind of, you want to ask God for growth in that area. You want to, a bit like Liv said about compassion, she kind of went to the scriptures on that particular topic. And so if self-control is your thing, then Google self-control or go to one of those uh, websites like Bible Gateway where you can get all the verses that talk about self-control. Read them, pray for yourself on the back of them, and you'll find that God helps you because you're investing in a particular area. 
So I think it is it is worth doing that. Um, sometimes I think we all we all find that we grow. We feel like we are growing slower than we want to. So I don't want anyone to leave here feeling like, oh, I haven't got any more self-controlled in the last three years. I'm clearly not growing at all in God. So I don't think that is always true. Um, I think most, almost all Christians probably are painfully aware of how slow the sanctification process is. Um, so I don't think we should be too discouraged. But at the same time, I do think we can be motivated to think, okay, well, this is an area I really want to grow in. I'm going to ask. I'm going to repeatedly ask God about it, and I'm going to read the scriptures about it, and I'm going to trust God that it is something that I can grow in, even if it's a real sense of very small steps moving forward. Yeah, it's good. Right? Yeah, I'm just sorry. I'm just looking at the time. No, I was just checking. That was all right. Yeah, it's very good. Very wise. It's good. Have we got time for one more? Yeah, we can do one more. I think one more. I'll kick on. Maybe two more. Go on. You can go first. How best can you surrender your heart to God? Do you mean specifically in regard to these types of qualities? So like when you see a fruit on this list and you think, ah, that's not in my life, how can I? Mm. So part of the question was if someone says to you, you're not very loving, which, you know, arguably might not be a very loving thing for them to do. (laughs) Uh, You can say it, but maybe in nicer words. Um, Then if you don't feel that yourself, then how do you go forward? I think, I mean, were you here? I don't know if you were here, but for the benefit of everyone else, Steph spoke a little bit yesterday, I think, about the conscience and about how that's actually a really important part of what it, how we walk before God. And that the Bible teaches quite a bit about the conscience. And it's ge- genuinely worth looking into that because I think that's kind of the area that we are talking about. Someone could tell you that you're something, but if actually you're not inwardly convinced um, then you don't want to just kind of go, you don't want to leave yourself basically at the whim of everybody else's opinion of you because uh, you'll end up in a bit of a mess. What you do want to do is educate your conscience with the word of God. So if someone brings something up like love or self-control or patience or whatever, then I would think if you're genuinely kind of trying to work out, I don't know about this, then I think what I would do is I would try and go to the scriptures and uh, look at the verses that talk about that particular thing and ask God to speak to me in the middle of it. Um, And wherever you are on the scale of being loving, you'll always be able to grow. And so you can genuinely go before God and say, well, I'd love to, I don't know if I'm really bad at this or not, but I would really love to grow. And I would really love your love, Lord, to fill my heart so that I can love other people more fully. Um, and then as, as you're reading the scriptures, you, you're, just, you're trying to live your life before God more than you're living it before men. Mm. That's really important. Yeah. And so if people are saying things to you, or even if what most of us do, we're second-guessing what other people might think about us, yeah. actually that can be really destructive. What we really want to learn to do is learn to live our lives before God and, and allow our consciences to be educated by God and then to lead us. What is what does God say to me? What does God want? God surely wants me to grow in love, but he actually might really want me to grow in self-control right now. And therefore, I'm going to really focus on that because that is where God is leading me. The only other thing I'd say, and then I'm guessing, oh no, we did say we go. Okay, I won't say anything more. Just to add, I just want to add to that. I think when I was describing the my tendency in my early Christian life of the kind of self-effort thing of I want to try and get this thing in my life, so what can I do about it? 
I don't want you to hear in that that I'm saying the opposite, which is don't make any effort whatsoever and just let this thing all come naturally. If I just let everything come naturally, I tell you, I'm not loving, I'm, I'm not very joyful, I'm not very peaceful, I'm definitely not patient, and there's not always that much gentleness in me. So there is a, a regard in this sense that you do need to actually be diligent about your character in the same way that we're saying you, you, you're diligent about decisions that you make and what you invest your time in. And I think it's absolutely fine to pray and ask God to develop those, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in you because you're, if you're asking him to do it in you rather than you work hard at doing it yourself. Just to give you a warning on that, if you pray and ask God yeah. to develop patience in you, do you know what he will do? He will allow you Find to... Find you be- a wife. Ah. No, that's an insult. That you didn't get insult. that. I got, I got that as an insult. He will, he will basically allow you to go into situations that repeatedly test your patience. So be careful what you pray. Lord, help me to be faithful. Help me to grow in faithfulness. Maybe an invitation for God to bring you into context and situations where you realize I have not been faithful. I need to hold on to this thing that I have been asked to do and I need to do it well. And that might be actually you realize that is a struggle because I'm not naturally faithful. So, so I'm saying look for God to, to grow the fruit in you and, and take responsibility in your own life for how you can develop in it. But I think what the, the gist of what I really wanted to get across this morning was that it's about your life with Jesus and these things happen as a result of your life with Jesus, not separate from your life with Jesus. Yeah, I agree. Do you want to do yours very quickly because I think we need then need to move on. Yeah, how do you increasingly listen to God and hear His voice? Um, I think we probably Steph's probably touched on this a bit during the week, so we won't say too much. And I think what we've said consistent, we've tried to say consistently, is that the main thing is in the Scriptures that God has spoken in His Word, and we want to be people that are immersing ourselves in it. Um, and I think part of the the thing about maturing and actually learning to fellowship with God is there's there's reading the scripture and then there's reading the scripture to hear God's voice, which actually can be quite different. You can actually be a non-Christian and read the whole Bible and it won't, may not have any impact on you at all. Um, but there's also a way of reading the scriptures which is a bit more devotional. It's a bit more kind of really placing yourself under the spotlight of scripture every day and saying, God, I want you to speak to me. I, want, I don't want to just read this to understand it. I do want that, but I want... A step beyond that as well. I want the word to come into my heart because I need to feel its impact shaping me and changing me and directing my life. And I think there are some skills you can learn to do that. It's a practice that you develop over time. You have to fight for it and carve it out because the rest of life will close in around you. And if you don't actually fight for that discipline and that practice and that habit of allowing God to speak to you through the word, you will find that life squeezes it out and you'll grow up, you'll get older, but you won't get any more mature in God because the word of God is not getting into you. So there's a whole nother seminar there and there's stuff on the website and there's loads of resources just about how do we really hear God through his word I mean, there's other ways that God speaks to us as well. We might get a bit of that in a minute. But I think that has to be the foundational thing. And you can't really get the others in a healthy way without that anyway. So that's where we would really want to encourage everyone to invest their time. Just a top tip I can give you about reading the Bible in a way that you're reading it to hear God is to not to basically approach the word of God as an active and alive word that is going to do something in you in the act of you reading it. So even asking the Holy Spirit, 
come and speak to me now as I read these verses. I'm going to read Psalm 8 this morning, in, in, you know, before I go to school or work. Come and speak to me as I read Psalm 8. And then read it and then say to the Holy Spirit, what's this really saying, Holy Spirit? And Jesus, show me how you're in this psalm. And Father, show me how you're in this psalm. And what, what is this psalm doing for me? And then sometimes actually pray back the very words of the psalm. Thank you, God. Psalm 8 says, oh, talks about God's creation. And thank you, God, that the heavens are the works of your fingers. Thank you that the, you set the moon and the stars in place. Thank you that that means that today when the earth turned, you did that, Lord. You've, you've created that. You've made that happen. Thank you that you're in charge of the cosmos. And so you're starting to pray that the truth that you've just read. And as you pray, it's a bit like you're chewing on it and you're tasting it. And it's going round and round, as it were, your mind and your heart. And out of that, you find God speaks. It's almost like sometimes reading it just makes it hit here. But actually, you've got to take it deeper into you. You've got to actually eat the Bible. You've got to eat the word of God. You've got to let, let it go into you and into your digestion. And so sometimes less is more in that sense. A couple of verses for 10 minutes and actually ruminating on it and letting it go into you might be a, a, a more helpful way for you to hear God than like this morning I'm going to read, you know, Matthew 1, 2, and 3. Boom, 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 done, done my Bible reading, off I go. It might, you might find that actually there's a skill for you there in learning the technique of hearing God through his word, taking time, chewing things over. Okay, we're going to move on and we're going to talk a little bit about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then again, we're going to have questions and then we're going to pray. So do be thinking of questions if you want to. So there are, there are several passages in the New Testament that speak about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, most of them are in the letters that Paul wrote um, in the epistles of Paul. And in every situation when he writes about the gifts of the Spirit, he is not giving an exhaustive list of gifts. Okay, It's not like the shopping list of heaven and, and everything is on each list. They are um, different gifts appear on different, in different parts of the scriptures as he's describing different things. But the point I want to make to you is there are, there are hundreds and hundreds of ways that God gifts us. And not every single one of them is named in an explicit and overt fashion in the Bible. But there are things that are named in the New Testament. We need to pay particular attention to them. So there are three passages that we're just going to look at quickly because we haven't got loads of time. So Romans 12, verse 3 to 8. Um, I'm going to read it to you. If you're taking notes, just write down the reference rather than turn there because you won't have time. Paul says this, By the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you to not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace that was given to us, let's use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Okay, so just in that passage alone, we've got gifts described. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, contributing, leading, and acts of mercy. And what you notice is, in that passage, Paul describes them as gifts, verse 6, that differ according to the grace given us. And I just want to say something really obvious, but very, very profound when it comes to spiritual gifts. They are presents that you do not earn. 
if you can grasp that about spiritual gifts, you will be free from a whole myriad of problems when it comes to trying to work out how God has gifted you. They are gifts that you get. You have not earned them. You don't deserve them. It's not to do with who your parents are. It's not to do with how many times you've gone to church. It's not to do with how long you've been a Christian. It's not to do with whether you're male or female. It's not to do with whether you've got long hair or curly hair or short hair or whatever. They are gifts from God. They are not earned. You can't work for them. You can't kind of grow into a better Christian to get them. They are gifts. They are presents. So if you see someone operating in a certain gift, it does not mean they are better or more loved or more special or have done better stuff than someone who doesn't operate in that gift. That is absolutely fundamental that you get that this morning, that the gifts of God are grace gifts, which means when God gives you a gift, it is not to do with you as to why you've got that gift. It is to do with him as to why you've got that gift. How you use that gift is to do with you. But where it comes from is God. Have we got that? Okay. They're gifts from God and they're grace gifts and they're different. So they differ according to his will, which means God looks around this room and he decides over there to give someone the gift of prophecy and over there to give someone the gift of tongues and over there to give someone the gift of mercy and over there to give someone the gift of leadership and down here to give someone the gift of exhortation and over there to give someone the gift of contribution. They are different and they look different and they get expressed differently. And not everybody has all of them. That's also really important to understand. And as Paul says here, they're all to do with being a body. The gifts that God gives us are all to do with us being a body. The Bible describes the church as a body with Jesus as the head and all of us members. And the gifts that God gives are for the body. They're for the building up of God's people, of the church, of God's body on the earth. And so he gives us gifts for the sake of the body. So if we turn to the next passage, it's in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, which way is that? And again, Paul starts to writing. He says, there are varieties of gifts. I'm in verse 4. But the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Okay, so I'm just going to pause there. The gifts that God gives to the church are for the common good. They're for the good of other people. When God gives you a gift, it's not for you. It's to use in a way that will be good for other people. So, so sometimes I think we can ask God for spiritual gifts. And we say, oh God, please give me spiritual gifts. Please cause me to, to really operate in spiritual gifts. What we're really asking him for is, please help me to be used by you to do good to someone else. It's not a selfish, we're not, we're not receiving gifts for ourselves, we're receiving gifts so that we can be like a channel of God to someone else. Does that make sense? It's, we're not the final destination of the gift. If someone gives you the gift of prophecy, if God gives you prophetic gifting and he, and he enables you to hear his voice, it's not just so that you can walk around all day feeling wonderful that you hear God. It's because he wants you to share that with other people so that they can feel wonderful that they've heard God. The gifting is like a conduit for God to move with his grace through you into someone else. So when we're asking God for spiritual gifts, we're praying for God to use us and gift us so that we will be good news and we'll be able to bring blessing and the grace of God to other people. So the gifts are not just for the person who receives them, they're for others, they're for the body. And God empowers them, which is why in verse 6 he says, it's the same God who empowers all the gifts in everyone. They come from God and their power lies in God. Then he goes on to list some of the gifts. Verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. 
to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So gifts of the Spirit we've seen so far are not earned. They're grace gifts. They differ according to the purposes of God, and he chooses where he gives them. They're for the body. They're for the common good. Okay? And they are, they're really diverse. If you, if you look at this list, you've got wisdom and knowledge, and you've got gifts of healing, and you've got working miracles, and you've got prophecy, and you've got discerning between different types of spirits, and you've got tongues, and you've got the interpretation of tongues. And in the earlier list, we had contribution, giving, and we had mercy, and we had um, leadership. And we ha- we, they're, they're, a load, they're very different. They look very different. And also, you operate in them according to who you are. So it does make a difference what your personality and your temperament is like. I am a very vocal, expressive, passionate person in my temperament and personality. Which means when I use the gifts God has given me, they come out through who I am. My personality comes out in the way that I use those gifts. Which is why I prophesy differently to someone else who has a different temperament to me. Do you understand that? It's why one person will lead differently to another. It's because the gift of leadership will look different in Stu than it looks like in me. And it will look different in you than it looks like in me. Which is why sometimes it can be so unhelpful when you look at someone who's operating in a gift and you automatically think, I want to be like them. And God's saying, you can't be like them because you're not them. You're you. But you can operate in the gifting that you see in you. So the same gift you might see in someone that you asked in God for will look different when you express it. Does that make sense? We're nodding. Yes? We're sort of nodding slowly. It's the last morning, isn't it? Okay, they look different. Finally, just just a couple of verses later in 1 Corinthians 12, the other passage I want to look at is where Paul says this, verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? I think you can assume that the answer to those questions is no. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. So it's impossible for everyone to have every gift, And that God is going to choose what gifts you have. And he's going to take into consideration your personality and your temperament. And he's going to take into consideration who you are. But he's going to give you gifts for the body, for the the common good of the church. And the responsibility we have is in verse 31, eagerly desire. In chapter 14, verse 1, he says the same thing. He says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. The Bible doesn't just say, well, have them if you want them. Paul says, go after them eagerly desire them you know you don't have to say to children on christmas morning would you like anything from under the tree like if you want them they're there my children have eagerly desired their presence for a while and they, they've worked out which shape is whose and who might be getting which one and sometimes they add them up and one of them will say why are there four with his name on and only three with my name on because they, they've already got that desire in them they want the gift they know it's going to be good news what's in that box or parcel they, they know it's going to be good news and the Bible's saying to us, desire gifts, because it's good news. It's good for you, and it's good for people that are going to benefit from you using them. So I want to encourage, I want to stir up this morning an appetite for us to be saying to God, oh God, give me gifts so that I can be good news to other people, so I can bring your grace into your body and do, do common good for everyone. 
So the thing we need to be aware of with spiritual gifts, and I just wanted to mention this, is it's really important we don't rank them and associate them as being kind of on some sort of pecking order in a different way to what the Bible does. The Bible does distinguish between gifts. I haven't got time this morning to go into all of that because it's quite a, a lengthy process of looking at New Testament scriptures. But the Bible does describe gifts that, are, that operate in different ways. And some of them operate in a very significant way that shape in a big way. And some of them operate in a much smaller way. And there's different measures of gift. So, for example, if you've got the gift of administration and that gift is operated in, in a, an event like this, that might mean you organize and orchestrate the whole of New Day. If you've got the gift of administration in a, in a different measure and the context is smaller, that might mean that you have been able to organize a social night for your youth group. They're both completely valid uses of that gift. It's just in a different context and to a different measure. If you've got the gift of teaching, that might mean that when you chat with someone about biblical truth, you're able to show them something in the Bible that they didn't understand. It might mean that you have a microphone and you say it to tens and thousands of people. It's still the gift of teaching. It's just in a different context. If you have the gift of prophecy, that might be that you hear God when you're praying for someone one-on-one and he shows you something about their life that you bring and it really encourages them. It might be that you stand up into a huge context of a nation and say, thus says the Lord, like Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Isaiah did. They vary in accordance to how the measure that God has given and accordance to the faith that we use them in. So we just need to be careful that we don't rank gifts as like that one's really important and that one's really not. There is a bit of a problem I have to say this in charismatic churches of us getting very excited about the gifts that seem to be very powerful and a little bit disappointed if we've got gifts that seem to be a bit behind the scenes. Like You don't often hear people saying, yes, I have the gift of serving. I am going to change the world for Jesus. You think, wow, the gift of healing, now that's going to do something significant. But you know what? The gift of serving is just as significant as the gift of healing. And it does a lot. The gift of administration is crucial in the body of Christ and in the world, actually. And so we just need to be careful we don't have in our mind like glory gifts and rubbish gifts. They're all presents from God and they all do good. Okay, final thing I want to say about gifts and then we have some questions is the way that you grow in your gifts is that you use them. Okay, little illustration for you. If you want to get good at swimming, the way you get good at swimming is you go swimming. And when you go swimming you swim. You put your arms over and you pull through or you do your breaststroke or whatever and you might swim further and further the more you swim because it becomes more natural. You might have swimming lessons. You might have someone who comes to do some, spend some time working with you and helping you learn how to swim. You might understand that actually when you put your hand in the water for front court, you need to catch the water, which is when you tip your, your, your wrist in this angle and you pull the water through. You might understand that closing your fingers is not as effective as having them slightly open in terms of the paddle effect. You might go to the gym to build up some muscles on your shoulders to develop your pull. The point is, the way you're going to get good at swimming is by swimming. The way you're going to get good at using spiritual gifts is by using spiritual gifts. You're not one day going to get zapped by God with a massive amount of power and anointing, having never done or used that gift before, and suddenly use it in an extraordinarily large way. In the same way that you're not going to put a person who's never swum into the deep end and say, show us what you've got. The way that you learn to use gifts is you start where you are and you go with what you've got and you grow. And like muscles, they get bigger and stronger and are able to manage more. So I want to encourage you from today that as you receive gifts and as you've already got gifts in you, to use them. If your gift is prophesying, if you know God's given you prophetic gifting, you need to prophesy. You need to tell people what you're hearing God say. You need to share pictures and things that you can see in your mind. You need to share phrases. You need to pray for people and talk about what you feel God is saying to them. 
If your gift is serving, you need to serve. You need to, be, you need to actively look for opportunities where you can serve someone. It might be a person, it might be an event, it might be an organization, it might be an activity that you do, but you need to use that gift. If your gift is generosity, you need to give. You need to give of your time, give of your money, give of your relationships, give of yourself to people. So we, we grow in gifts by using them. And the way that you use a gift is that you believe you've got it. That's really important. The way that you first start using a gift is you say, I believe God's given me this. I'm going to have a go. So the, the process of growing in gifts is to receive them from God by faith. So I, this, just illustrate it for you. I, I, when I was about 15... I started finding when I prayed for people that thoughts came into my head that I hadn't been thinking about before. And I didn't really know what that was. I didn't know it was a gift of prophecy because I was quite a new Christian. I, I understood that I wanted to pray a certain thing over someone when, I, when this thought came into my head. So I started praying it. And they would say to me, wow, that was amazing when you prayed that because it really felt like it was just what I needed to hear. It was like you kind of knew what I needed to hear. I think that's the gift of prophecy. I think, I think you're using the gift of prophecy, Liv. That's really good. I, you should do that more. So the next time I'd go to pray for someone, now I've got a name for it. Ooh, the gift of prophecy. Right, praying for my friend Sarah. And then a thought comes into my head. Oh, is that the gift of prophecy? Or did I just make that up? Oh, I think I might have made that up. Oh, no, I don't think, I don't, I don't think that's prophecy. I think, that, I think I've just been thinking about it. I think I must know something. I don't, ooh, ooh. And you can get in a right tangle about it. Have I got the gift? Have I not got the gift? It, faith says, I think God's speaking to me. I'm going to use it. I'm going to see what happens. Sarah, I think God might be saying this. Does that fit with you? It's believing that releases the use of the gifts. It's faith. If God says over you, you've got a call on your life for leadership and he's given you the gift of leadership, then start to lead. Say, I believe that, so I'm going to lead. I'm going to say to the youth group, why don't we all get together and pray next Sunday morning before church starts? Why don't we come half an hour early, go to the side room, spend half an hour worshipping before the worship time? If people start to follow you, you're leading. There you go, gift of leadership. You have to believe it and put it into action, and then you'll start to see it grow. So we exercise our gifts by faith, by faith believing we've got them, and by using them. Make sense? Great. You're all very, very quiet. I'm wondering if half of you have gone to sleep with your eyes open. Anyway, let's have some questions about spiritual gifts. Yeah, so I think the question is, if you've got some gifts that God's given you naturally, um, and then you also start praying for another gift... Is it possible that God will answer you? Or I think you're kind of saying, or is it that God's kind of set it in place? And so basically, there's no point in praying for other gifts because, yeah. So <clears throat> two comments, really. I think one of them is that the line between natural gifts and supernatural gifts is actually much more blurred than we might normally think it is because you can naturally be a bit of a leader and you can also receive supernatural strength to be a leader. And it's not always obvious normally is a bit of a mixture rather than like one or the other some gifts obviously like the gift of healing is more obviously supernatural not many of us can naturally heal people um but often there's a kind of an overlap between the way that god's built us and kind of developed us through our lives and then the grace gifts that he gives us and the work of the spirit within us second thing is i think absolutely you can ask god for gifts that you don't currently have which is why Liv quoted in 1 Corinthians, it says, eagerly desire these gifts because the implication is if you go after them, God wants to give them to you. Um, and so I think you can pray and you can ask God. Quite often, the desires that we have for gifts are in line with the gifts that God has created us for. So actually, if you're sitting there with a real desire 
to prophesy, then actually there's a good chance, I think, that 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 desire is actually something that God has put in you because he wants you to ask him so that he can give it to you. And so actually even the desires we have, some of you will be sitting and thinking, I would love to prophesy. And others of you are thinking, I really want to have the gift of teaching. Now that is a clue at the way that God has built you and what God is shaping you for. And actually those prayers are part of God's purpose to actually grow you into a gift that you can be to the body of Christ. Now, sometimes we can have those desires and they're a little bit mixed. And, you know, you get it, particularly in a setting like this, sometimes people come up and say, I really want to be the guy on the stage. You think, yeah, that's kind of probably maybe partly good motive. And that's partly, I really want to be on the stage. (laughs) You know, and so what you find, and I said this a little bit earlier in the week, is one of the reasons that God doesn't answer our prayers immediately is because he's much better and wiser than that. He actually wants to help us mature in the process. And so we start praying for a gift. And as it doesn't come straight away, actually what happens is our heart starts to get conformed to be more and more like Jesus' heart. And so we start praying for the gift of prophecy. Probably at the beginning, it's partly because we think it just looks really cool. And you want to be the person that stands up the front and goes, you, I see you doing this, this, and this. And everyone goes, (gasps) wow, you know, and there's a kind of an impure motive the more we pray actually we begin to understand, oh, actually, this gift is about serving other people. It's not about me. And God actually purifies our motives so that he can give us gifts in the process. And So does that make sense? I think, actually, yes, go after gifts in prayer and ask God. You will find that sometimes that initial desire might die away, and that's great. And you'll find other times that desire grows and God starts to answer your prayers. And that's the way that God leads us through and builds us. Sure. How do you know if you've got the gift of healing? I honestly would say I'm not being just facetious, but that's probably one of the easier ones to work out in a sense. Because I think if people get healed, you know that there is something of a gift of healing. You don't need to feel like they should get healed every time. I don't think there is a single person alive who has that gift of healing. Um, but sorry. but um, if no one has ever got healed it's probably fair to say you may not, it'd be better to say you want the gift of healing doesn't mean you, you should if no one doesn't mean if no one's got healed you shouldn't do it anymore it just means you want to keep going back to God and if that desire and that faith is still in there then it means you go back to God and I heard someone say this the other day, some very well-known, respected person with an amazing gift of healing, essentially said, the only thing I can say to people who want to grow in the gift of healing is pray for the sick. If they don't get healed, go back to God, seek him, fast, pray, ask him again, pray for the sick. If they don't get healed, go back to God, seek him, pray, fast, ask him again, pray for the sick. If they don't, and that, is that's the, that is the way that you grow in the gift of healing. You come up against it again and again. And that's true of probably all gifts, even something like teaching. Teach the Bible. If people don't grow you know, and have their hearts changed and their minds renewed, go back to God. Pray, study, ask God, fast. Teach the Bible again. If people aren't changing, go back to God. You know, and that, I think that's the way that we grow in all of the gifts of, and our faith develops. 
Just to add to that, some of the gifts that Stuart's talking about, some are very supernatural and some are, can be feel like they're very natural. I think there are some gifts that, in the supernatural sense that unless God comes upon you and works through you in, the, in that moment, you cannot operate in that gift. So I might say to you, oh, I have the gift of prophecy, but I can't make up a prophecy if God doesn't speak to me. Like I, I can't just turn it on. I need God to speak. But I also have the gift of teaching, and I can actually teach even without supernatural anointing. Because like, if you say to me, how do you divide 24 equally? I can explain that there are principles in maths about you know, numbers and how they fit together. And I can teach you. okay? And I can also teach you stuff from the Bible. I can say this verse means that. So like Mike Pivacci was messing around last night, wasn't he, with you know, what does the Sea of Gennesaret mean and the Sea of Galilee and the Lake of this. And he was sort of making a bit of a joke out of it. The point was all he was doing was reading the footnote. But he, it was, he was teaching. And the point is, the joke he was making was that Andrew Wilson's gift of teaching, you know, didn't quite match up to it. Whereas we all know, the reality is, Andrew has a gift of teaching, which means when he opens the Bible, he can explain stuff to you. And when the Holy Spirit is moving through him, it's like, bang, you suddenly see revelation. But Andrew's really good at explaining all sorts of things to you. And it's not always that there's that bang moment, because he's also got that human ability to teach. So there is, a, like Stuart was saying, it's quite, it can be quite grey in some areas of gifting, not so much with things like healing and deliverance and prophecy and stuff because they are this it's like the spiritual realm gifts but some of the gifts that operate much more can feel much more like in the human realm like administration and serving um don't necessarily feel in the same way like you know have i got this gift have i not i think it's good just to not get too hung up about it and not kind of create lists of which gift i've got and which gift i haven't got and see that actually we've all got measures of different gifts to different amounts but some of them we particularly fly in and feel very at home in there was a question, yeah, go on, because you got up first last time. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, so the question is about the gift of tongues. Um, sometimes it's kind of referred to a bit as an inferior gift. I think we have to be a bit careful with that. I think the, the language in 1 Corinthians 14, when like Liv read about the greater gifts... Is, is mainly to do with gifts that serve other people. And Paul's point is that gifts that serve other people are better in one respect than gifts that just are good for yourself. So that's where he's talking about the gift of tongues is, is mainly about building yourself up, whereas prophecy, he says, builds others up, which is brilliant, you know. So, that, so I, don't want, I don't want us to have like a really low view, like <laughs> the gift of tongues, you know. It's just like a beginner gift. I think actually it can be a really profound gift. Um, how do we step into it? Like you're saying, you don't want to just start making stuff up. Um, I don't. I honestly think this is not that easy, you know, for a lot of people. Um, like you say, it's a, it's a kind of a supernatural element to it. And so you can't, it's something that you can't do without God in the same way that prophecy, you can't prophesy without God speaking to you. Um, and I think it's probably a bit like the gift of healing, you know, like I was saying earlier, you kind of, you have a go, okay, that nothing happened, you know, I'm going to go back, I'm going to seek God, I'm going to ask for his blessing, you have another go, okay, nothing happened. And actually it's good to, you know, God teaches us stuff as we do that, he, he grows us as we keep pressing into him for things that he doesn't immediately give to us. I think there are, there are certain things that I think can help. People start speaking in tongues. One of them is being prayed for by other people. Uh, one of them is contexts like we did it the other day where there's actually just a lot of people speaking in tongues. That can be an easier context to start speaking in tongues than just standing with one other person where you might feel a bit more 
self-conscious. Um, I think I st- first started speaking in tongues when I was on my own in a room. Um, and so it wasn't like a big meeting. It was just something that um, that God did. Some people have very dramatic experiences of first starting to speak in tongues where it's like God just takes over, you know, and it's like I didn't even choose to do this. God just, I just started doing this amazing thing. I didn't know how I did it. It just happened. Other people, I think it is, uh, I guess it's like I say, that, that blurred line between the natural and the supernatural. For other people, it is a bit more like they just, they start to use their mouth and they make a deliberate decision to start to use words they've never used before. And they find as they do it, God's with them in it and helps them and then they suddenly they start speaking in tongues. It doesn't feel particularly dramatic. It doesn't feel particularly ecstatic or experiential. It's just a decision that you've made but you find, hey, I'm using words that I didn't, didn't learn, you know, and I'm just speaking in a language. So I think there is a real variety of experiences. There's a real variety of ways in which... Did someone just turn the lights out? Or did the sun just disappear? Because that's bad news. In 14 minutes, we're all going to die. <laughs> um, sorry, a little uh, sidetrack. Let's make the most of these 14 minutes. Um, <laughs> um, there's a whole variety of different ways in which people speak in tongues, learn to speak in tongues, all that kind of stuff. I think I would just say keep pursuing God, keep asking God for stuff, and just make sure it doesn't become the be-all and end-all of your Christian experience because it can become that. It can kind of start, it starts to mean that everything else about Christianity fades into the background until you've got this one thing. Um, and I think actually that's not the way it works. It's a great gift. God will bless you through giving it to you. He will bless you if you seek him and he doesn't give it to you. And I've heard people talk about that, how they've sought God over a number of years for the gift of tongues. A guy called John Piper, who you might have heard of, he's a famous, well-known teacher, said he prayed for years and years and years for the gift of tongues. And in the end, he felt God say to him, do you know what? I gave you a pretty good gift of teaching. Just <laughs> go with that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that worked out pretty well, actually. <laughs> you know. Um, so, so, yeah, I hope that doesn't answer every question, but it helps a bit. We, um, it's half 12, so we're out of time for Q&A. And in about 10 minutes, the cowshed team need, need us to all get out of here. But um, it would be really good to pray for you for uh, the giving of gifts. So stay where you're sitting, and I'll just pray over us for God to give gifts. And I'd, I'd really love you to take away what we've been talking about this morning, um, particularly the stuff on gifts, because I could see there were loads more questions. Take your questions to your youth leaders. Take them to your elders in your churches. Take them to people that are over you in the Lord, because they've got the answers too, not just us, and you'll find that you can get answers and you can start a journey of discovering more about spiritual gifts outside of the context of being here. And take them to God directly as well in, in the Bible. Like you will learn you'll learn from other people, but if it's also okay to go to God and say, I want, I've got this question, I want the answer. Can you help me find the answer in the Bible? And if you can't find it, then go and ask someone else to give you some direction. But actually that's a wonderful thing to be able to yeah. do. Okay, I'm just going to pray over us. Father, I thank you that in this room there are, I don't know, hundreds of your children who you want to give presents to, God, and who you've already given presents to. In fact, I just want to pray first for those who already know that they are operating in spiritual gifts and moving in some of the things that we've mentioned in those, in those passages. And Father, I pray that you would enable them today to really receive with faith 
what they've already got in their hands and to use it, God. I pray for people who've received gifts that they would use them. I pray for the provocation of your spirit on people right now that you would nudge and prompt and say, yeah, that's you, and this is how I want you to use it. Pray for opportunities that people can start to use their gifts and grow in them. Father, and I ask you for um, those who are sitting here thinking, I don't think I've got any gifts at all whatsoever. I pray, God, that you would show them that the good things you want to pour into their lap that will be good for them and good for others. Father, I pray that you would give gifts today by the Spirit. I thank you there for the common good. I thank you there according to your measure and your will. I pray give gifts today. In this room, give gifts of prophecy. Give gifts of tongues. Give gifts of discernment. Give gifts, Lord God, of wisdom and knowledge. Father, give gifts of healing. Give gifts of working miracles. God, come and give gifts of leadership and teaching and serving and administration and the gift of contributing and the gift of helps. God, Come and give these gifts, Father. Give gifts of apostolic gifts, gifts of being an apostle, being a prophet, being a teacher, being a pastor, being an evangelist. God, I pray that you would, you would bless the church, bless your body by gifting these people here, that they would go back into your body at home and be able to use gifts in a way that builds up the church. Father, I pray for that, Lord. I pray for revelatory gifts. I pray for vocal gifts. I pray for gifts that are shown in the secret place, Lord. I pray gift your body. Thank you, Jesus. I just really particularly want to pray for people who feel like they've got the gift of administration and the gift of service and the gift of helping, contributing, giving, that, that kind of thing. Not the upfront visible ones, those ones that are a bit more behind the scenes, shall we say. Could you stand if you feel like they're, they're things that God has given you? Any of that list. And If you're not sure then if you're the kind of person that looks around and thinks, man, this could be organized loads better, I wish I could get involved and help organize it loads better, then that might mean that you have the gift of administration. Um, or if you're the kind of person that you love serving behind the scenes, you say, oh, I don't know if I've got the gift of serving, but you just love being able to help other people and you're not so fast about the, the up, you know, kind of public reward to that you just want to be able to help others and there's a kind of a grace on you to be able to do things behind the scenes in a ongoing kind of way without public recognition of that thing that probably means that you have the gift of serving in some measure so I just say that because you might think oh I don't know if I've got the gift of serving I just serve every week and enjoy it you know that's the clue what I want to do is I want the rest of us to pray from where we're sitting just quietly that God would set these people free to use their gifts with such abandonment and joy and that I'm going to pray that he would break off the lie that these are less important gifts and that he'd really help people to find the measure of the strength and the, and the grace of God that is on them to operate in these gifts that are absolutely vital for the building up of his body. And so if you're sitting on the floor and you're like some super mighty prophet person who is going to stand in front of thousands of us in the future and prophesy, I want you to pray for the greatness of the gift of God in the person that's going to serve you in such a way as to make it possible for that to happen. Can we do that? So we're all going to participate and then we're going to wrap up and these guys might by then be being wiped out by God or they might have secrets, things that God has spoken to them and we'll kind of make our way out of the venue. So Father, I thank you for all those that have stood here this, uh, this morning. I thank you that you, they've recognized either the, the beginnings of or the activity of the gift of God that is in them. I thank you for the gift of administration. I honor you and bless you because you know we need it. Father, I thank you for the gift of service. I thank you, Jesus said, that those who serve are great. 
I thank you that service releases things and enables things to happen. I thank you for the gift of helps. Lord, I thank you for the gift of contributing. I thank you that for some, contributing, what they, what they bring to the table is, is what makes a massive difference in what is there. Lord God, I thank you, Father, for these gifts. And I want to break the lie in the name of Jesus that these gifts are not as important as the public gifts and not as important as the vocal gifts. We break that lie over you in the name of Jesus and we speak the blessing of God on these gifts, that you would fly in the things that God has given you to do, that you would know your value and your purpose in him lies not in your gifting but lies in your identity as a son as a daughter as a child of God and that you would receive today a measure of faith to operate in your gifts I pray for an extended measure of faith I pray you'd enlarge people's faith today to operate in their gifts I pray for these guys that you would really release them Father God into your service into your administration into being active in their faith in these ways Lord we ask you to bless them Bless them, God. We love them. We love the gifts that you've put in them. Bless them and cause them to fly, Lord Jesus.